This is the Main Event Boxing Podcast, and here's your host, Ben Damon. Well, in 2005 and 2006, Australian Paul Briggs had a pair of epic wars with Thomas Adamek that HBO commentator Jim Lampley compared to the legendary clashes between Arturo Gatti and Mickey Ward while demanding a trilogy. They didn't fight a third time, and while Briggs lost both of those world title bouts via heavily disputed majority decisions, they provided the highlights of an outstanding combat sports career that wasn't without colour and controversy. And Paul Briggs has joined me. Paul, thanks so much for your time today, mate. Um, how are you spending your time in lockdown at the moment? Thanks for having us on, Ben. Um, yeah, I'm enjoying actually a little bit of solitude and a bit of um, town time. So I don't often get to um, stop and, and relax and reflect these days. So it's, it's I'm, I'm actually enjoying it. Yeah, okay. Well, we will do a little bit of reflection um, today going over the course of your career and uh, so many highs and lows and so much excitement for the Australian boxing crowd. But um, with so many boxers, I, I guess we see that toughness and we certainly saw it in your Adamek fights. Where do you think that came from? Do you think that it was something to do with who you were as a child and the experiences that you had? I think so. I, you know, like I've been around combat sports since I was four years old. Um, my father was a was an ex uh, boxer. My uncle was a really good boxer. Um, the only thing being, my mother made my father promise her that if they ever had sons, that they would never box. So, um, you know, we we tended to uh, after a, a holiday that my mother and father took to Thailand. Um, he brought back a VHS video of Muay Thai, and. Um, you know, we tended to um, jump at that straight away, obviously, because, you know, we'd grown up with sparring partners in myself and my twin and, um, you know, always wanting to go to battle in the backyard. So when we found that we couldn't box, but with the, here was this other thing that we could actually be a hell of a lot more devastating with, um, we jumped at it. Yeah, what what sort of a um, childhood was it for you? I know you were born in New Zealand, um, grew up largely in Brisbane, but um, what was it like? What were the people around you like? Um, I was influenced um, around training by my father from a very young age, and I was, uh, you know, I used to go to the gym with him, and my some of my greatest memories um, as a young man were being in the gym, watching my dad sweat, and. Um, and being around men who were training combatively, you know, around boxing. And um, uh, it, it all just sort of went from there. You know, I, I, I remember watching um, when I was four years old, I, I spoke of this at the um, Hall of Fame dinner last year, and it, 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 Jeff Fennett came up to me and said that really, really inspired him. And, it, it, you know, I was... The story goes like this. I was sitting at the corner of a, um, uh, a makeshift ring in Arnhem Land in, in um, northern New South, uh, sorry, northern um, uh, Territory, and um, at a tent fight that my father was refereeing. And um, I remember just sitting there looking up at these men going at it, and I had no idea what I was looking at, but I just knew, oh, my God, this is me. This is, this is what I came here to do, and this is what I want to do. And, and not so much boxing, but just fighting you know, and, and being in a fight. Like I expressed earlier, my mum and dad went to Thailand for a holiday when we were 16 years old. And when they came back, I, I'll never forget, my dad walked in the door and they had all their bags and everything. And he said, he said, hey, boys, check this out and threw a VHS video yeah. at us. And um, 
we looked at it Muay Thai or something. You know, we had no <laughs> idea on how to even pronounce it. And we put it in and it had the weirdest music you've ever heard. It was like yeah. um, someone's fingernails scraping down a, a chalkboard. And um, we put this video in and we and were just we're gobsmacked. I think for the it went for it was a long video. It went for about three hours. It was just consecutive fights from one of the stadiums there. And um, we we were just enamoured with this um, and captured by by what we were watching. You know, these two guys just going to, to to battle, and it was just so brutal. And we thought, well, if we if we're not allowed to box. We're going to do this. And, and I think we did, um, well, we did every kind of like kung fu and karate and those sorts of things. You know, my, my father used to teach us unarmed combat um, as well in the backyard and we used to get um, busy with that. So um, we had uh, long sort of karate pants and we cut them off and into shorts. And, you know, my brother and I, next thing we're, we're you know, kicking the hell out of one another. And then um, not long after that, uh, the movie Kickboxer came out. Oh yeah, and and that was it. It was um, all bets were off. Um, and you must have been pretty happy with uh, your journey in Muay Thai and kickboxing, winning a world title and having some great experiences. It was amazing, you know, and it was it was really really special for me to share that with my father. Um, we were we were great mates. Or were I'm speaking from like he's not here, and we are great mates. Um, we've reconnected uh, a couple of years ago, but. Um, we got to, sh- I got to share that with my father, you know, it's not many, not many people get to share things that are pretty special with their parents. Often a lot of people do, but many don't. We got to travel the world together and, and climb the heights and, and, uh, you know, I fought some of the best fighters around the planet. Um, and, and at the time I was sort of living and training in Thailand and, and then fighting in Japan and, and then coming back to Australia for a holiday and see the family. And I was still only a kid. To be honest with you, you know, I was, I was 17, um, 17, 18, 19, 20 sort of thing whilst I was doing that. So, um, yeah, it, it was incredible. But I, I got to fight some of the some of the toughest guys around the world and, and um, got to, to travel a little bit and um, see a lot of Japan. And, and um, yeah, it was, it was really special. I really am grateful for, for that early foundational sort of building time um, of my uh, fighting life. Um, Paul, I'm not really sure on the timeline, but I know that sometime, I think after you stopped um, kickboxing in Muay Thai, you became a DJ. Was it, was it after you'd stopped kickboxing that you, that you went into that? I started, um, I started probably last two years of my career. Like I was at the height of my career. So I was fighting internationally and I was living overseas and, and I was making okay money for back then in the yeah. 90s. And um, I was still living at home and I, I, I think I bought a house when I was like 18 or something and, and from there I wanted to fit it out. So I started getting the turntables and um, I became very good mates with a gentleman who unfortunately is not alive anymore. He's one of the, the best DJs out of, out of um, Brisbane. His name is DJ Angus and a lot of people from the scene would, would know who he, he was. Very, very talented uh, guy on, on three decks and could do all the tricks and all the rest of it. And um, was very heavily involved in the, the B-boy sort of culture as well. And um, so it was kind of the balance for me, you know, between training and fighting and then DJing. And I've, I just loved the music and I loved um, mixing and had no real interest in, in playing out or anything like that. But, you know, that 
quickly changed as soon as I think my 18th birthday, um, I had friends t- took me to a rave and first time I'd ever really, you know, been to anything like that. And, um, the rest is kind of history. Yeah. Well, what did happen with, um, <laughs> the rest of it? So you, you sort of, you went into a different world there, I guess. Um, there's, uh, there's maybe a little bit of overlap between, um, your kickboxing world and the rave scene, but, um, not too much. No, only only a year or two because uh, you know it, it was kind of my decompression time, my downtime in between fights, and I'd go out and um, obviously you know we we're experimenting with drugs and those kind of things um, back then. And I was burning the candle at both ends as an athlete, and um, being in those scenes, you get to me, and you know you're a world champion. You get to meet you know every would be tough guy sort of wants to be your mate. And, and wants to surround themselves with you. And so um, I was meeting a lot of um, seedy characters whom, um, as much as they sort of were looked, at, looked up to me, I was kind of um, a, a bit taken with the, these guys and, and so therefore was followed the wrong example, um, I, I suppose, and, and um, went down a track that was um, uh, fairly sordid and... Um, and become quite violent. Uh, I had a tendency to violence uh, anyway. And so um, as I had an opportunity to distort my perception with the drug I was taking, um, a lot of childhood experiences and those kind of things started really rearing their head up within me. And and, um, and I started over-dramatising those, those things within myself, as you do, you know, when you, when you do uh, take any form of substance, you become quite a drama queen around things. And, um, you know, I, I went down a path that, you know, most do. It's no, no special story. You can, you, we've seen it time and time again with people. Um, but, you know, one thing I can say within it is... Um, Everything I was doing was the choice that I was making, you know, um, and and I completely owned my experience and the path that I went on and the path that I went down and the experiences that I had and uh, unfortunately some of the horrific things that I saw, um, which changed me greatly and um, and therefore that sort of coming full circle set me on the path that that I have been on for the last decade now, um, which is which is quite quite profound. Um, you've called that period before a delayed adolescence. Um, it sounds like it was, was maybe a bit more than that. How, how bad did things get? Is there anything you look back on through that period and you go, I can't believe that that's something I was involved in or that's where I was? hundred percent. I can't believe, um, the, some of the things that I had done, especially to other people and, um, hurting people hurt people. You know, and and I was at that, I was there at that point um, in my life. And like I said, the the drugs really over-dramatized everything within my mind. And my perception was was, uh, not correct in the sense of, one, what I had been through, two, how I was processing it, and three, the way I projected that onto the world and, and, and onto other people. Um, and all of it was just basically, I, I understand now, it was all based in fear, you know, my fear of, of, you know, being dominated or being stood over or anything like that. So therefore I became that man who dominated and stood over. And, um, and I learnt a lot from it, especially around honour. 
Um, I was surrounding myself with a lot of gentlemen who, who like to class themselves as hard men and um, honourable men and, um, and this kind of thing. And they were so far from, from that, I understand now. And um, they were purely men, much like myself, who had been given the wrong example in life and lacked discipline. And so, therefore, um, you know, they became lunatics. And, and there's only two places that lunatics end up. One's um, dead and one, or the other's um, incarcerated. So um, I was very fortunate to not um, see either one of those places, although um, many associates did. Yeah, um, we'll talk about um, the last decade and and what you're doing now um, Mm -hmm. a little bit later on, obviously. But is there anything or anyone from that period that you've gone back and um, tried to make things right with? Is there was that even a possibility given um, some of the things that you say you've done? Um, I am one hundred percent at peace with every single human being that I have ever crossed paths with, or that I have in my life right now, and that has taken a hell of a lot of work and a hell of a lot of me getting over myself even to have the conversations and um, address people who I would be the last person I would ever want to see. Um, And even to, you know, with, you know, I've I've made peace with a lot of um, guys who aren't here anymore, even um, within myself. So, um, you know, all of that's been a journey. And um, it's been a really, really um, challenging, confronting, beautiful, and and um, and incredible uh, journey to have been on. Right. Well, we might talk a bit more about that um, a little bit later, but we'll talk about boxing for a moment. Um, mm-hmm. You made your debut, I think, in 1994. Then you lost your second fight in 1997 yep. um, and came back into it in, in 99, and then you were sort of away. Um, what was going on through that period? Is that when um, other things were the focus? The fight that I lost, the second fight that I lost, that was, that was amazing because I was so full of myself. I'd been out partying three days before. I just saw it. I've always been out of bang and I thought I'm just going to take this fight on like three days notice or something and a few days training. And, and I hadn't been in the gym for a while. I'd been in nightclubs and, and parties and, and um, being an imbecile. So for me to think that I'm um, just cause I could belt a dude on the street for me to get in the ring and belt a guy who has been training, it was just insanity. And I got exactly what I needed at that time. And that was basically sat on my ass. So, um, and I had a really sore jaw at the end of it, but, um, and, a, and an incredibly bruised and, and maybe reset ego a little bit, um, from that. So that, that was, that was, that was great, that fight. But, um, yeah, from, from there, I continued being a, um, a irresponsible man for a little while. And then, um, I, Moved to the Gold Coast to party with um, John Wayne Parr, one uh, indie carnival. He was back from Thailand and we, we hung out and we partied. And, and then he was just like, man, why don't you box? Because I couldn't kick anymore. And he, we, were, we were looking at my legs and he said, man, it's a shame you can't kick. You're amazing and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, why don't you box? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I just don't know if I've, if I've got the discipline to train hard anymore. Mm. 
And then um, I needed a bit of cash, so he said, "Look, there's, a, there's an opportunity to fight um, this heavyweight. Um, it's in like a week's time or two weeks' time or something." I said, "Yes, yeah, sweet, let's go," and um, knocked the dude out in like three rounds or something. And then I was just like, "Hey, this is fun." Um, and you know what? This actually, this is me. It was like I'd come full circle completely, and that fire was was ignited again within me. And Rod Waterhouse was actually sitting my my who went on to become my trainer was actually sitting in the, in the crowd, um, in the audience watching. And he just said, um, to a gentleman whose day club I was bouncing at, at that time, um, just to make some cash said, um, who's this, who, who's this, this, uh, this young man. And he said, Oh, he works for me. And he said, I'll bring him to see me. And so he took me out to meet Rod and I said, we had a meeting and, um, he said, I come, be at my place on Monday morning and um, we'll, we'll start training. I said, cool, where's your place? And he said, it's in the ring. I lived at Bundle, which is about 14 kilometres away. And um, and I said, of course, I'll drive out in the morning. He said, no, 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 I want you to run. <laughs> I just started <laughs> laughing. I said, you're tripping. Um, so I ran and it took me about two hours and 40 minutes. And I was nearly in tears when I got there. And... Um, and he said, awesome, you got here, great. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. And I said, so I'll, I'll drive out. And he said, no, you'll run. And so I did that and and it nearly broke me and I was I, I sort of was almost at the point where I was like, I'll stuff this, this is way too hard. And I thought, you know what, there was this little voice inside my head that said, no, this is good for you, you're going to do it. And um, and that little voice is is what drove me on to, um, to end up, you know, fighting for the championship. So... That week, the end of that first week, um, Rod said, so so, where do you want to go with this? And, and he had a ring, uh, not a ring, a um, fist magazine in front of him. And I opened that up and to the ratings. I said, well, who's the champ at, at light heavyweight? That's probably what I'll need to get down to. So I was about 96 kilos. And, um, and he said, oh, Rod Jones Jr. And I said, sweet, I'll fight him. And he, was, <laughs> and he laughed. He said, yeah serious i said yeah we'll, we'll, i'll fight light heavyweight and i'll you know do what i've got to do here and then we'll, we'll go let's go to america and he was like okay so yeah we, we just did it like i'd met a guy who just went okay had the same sort of resolve i had where i just we just said okay we're going to do that thing let's go and then just you know um executed all the little details to to create you know the end result so um unfortunately i just i feel that if i had rod in my corner when i did fight adamac i would have smashed him i would have stopped him for sure so um but uh such is life um okay well we'll talk about your trainers again Surely, but I, I wanted to mention the Glenn Kelly fight. You've mentioned Roy Jones Jr. Well, Glenn Kelly was coming off his fight with Roy Jones Jr. Um, at the Horton Pavilion. One of the highlights of your career, certainly to that point, fighting against a big name in Australian boxing and um, live on television and producing one of the great right hands. Um, you must have fantastic memories of, of that particular night. Yeah, it was it, it was amazing. I, I had really um, a really beautiful experience actually being in Sydney for that fight. It's one one of the um, better memories of, of my career 
just um, having, you know, my wife at the time, my kids um, there and, and um, the support I had for my sponsors and the, the camp that I had, was it was a, a, an impeccable camp. Had some incredible sparring um, and just went and did the job, which I just knew I would do. I knew um, as soon as I hit Glenn on the chin that it would be the result. I just knew. Um, and I think, you know, that... That knowing that that and I don't call it belief because I never believed a damn thing. I knew I didn't believe anything, you know. Um, I, I just knew that if I hit him on the chin, I'd knock him out because I'd hit plenty on the chin, bigger blokes than him um, in the past. So uh, all the data I had in my mind that said, okay, you hit this bloke on the chin, you'll you'll drop him. Pretty much, you know, there's not too many guys who have stood up. A couple have. Um, and, and, you know, I've come back real hard. But um, I just didn't think Glenn was that that man, you know, to really take what I had and be able to come back and give it to me. Everyone can watch the uh, Glenn Kelly fight on, on YouTube. And, um, yeah, an amazing moment for you. And uh, obviously springboarded you along as well. Uh, 2004, you had a couple of eliminators. Um, then you went into um, into your first world title fight, Um Finally, after a, a, an extensive combat sports career, you went over to Chicago. So um, Thomas Adamek being Polish, a big Polish uh, population there. Live on HBO, Don King was promoting. Before the fight, what was the experience like? Because that's the, the real big stage of international boxing. It was amazing. Like, I I achieved everything I ever dreamt of achieving, besides getting that green belt. But I fought for it, you know, and... Um, Everything I ever dreamt on, I used to lay in my, my bed after school and I look up on my wall and my wall was plastered with photos from Ring magazine and from Fist magazine. Um, and, you know, I used to look at the um, Ray Leonard, um, uh, Thomas Hearns, you know, pull out that was in uh, Ring magazine and they were wearing Ray's gloves and they were fighting on HBO. And I was just like, man, I'm going to do that one day. I want to fight on HBO and, and um, I'll be with a big promoter. And, and so I did all that. And that was that was amazing. And so I was living in L.A. at the time, which was just awesome. Um, and, you know, I trained at Big Bear um, out of um, Shane Mosley's place up there um, at Altitude, which was incredible. Had awesome sparring partners. Just had an amazing camp. Um, really good crew. Uh, Jack was awesome to work with. Um, and, you know, then we got to Chicago and it was everything I dreamt for it to be, except for the result, obviously. But, um, you know, I've, I've, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. So um, I, I was just happy to, to have experience the experiences that I did experience, you know, considering that was sort of the dreams I had as a kid. Um, how were your dealings with Don King? Amazing. He was awesome. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I know. Yeah. I've got nothing but praise to sing for my, like he was my promoter, you yeah. know, and he was Tom, Tomas's um, promoter as well. And I spent a lot of time with Don. You know, we we spent a lot of time together over the years that I was with him, and we we had a lot of different conversations. And he he said to me, like he said, I'm at a point in my life now where I, all I want to do is right the wrongs of my actions throughout my life. So 
you know, he said, look, I'm, I'm a hustler. He said, I'm going to try and bend you over. It's your job to not let me. And I said, yeah, that's fair enough. So yeah. I really respected him for that. And, you know, the first contract he gave me, I laughed at him. I said, you're tripping. He goes, all right, let's go eat some ribs and then we'll come back. And, you know, my manager stayed in his offices with um, his lawyers and they sort of put together a, a, a new deal. And Don said, yeah, I'm happy with that. And he said, you know, I hope, I hope if you can fight as good as um, you present, you know, then, you know, we'll make some money. And, um, but the thing with Don is like, he was straight up with me. He said, you know, I've, he said, Paul, you got to understand. And he held the belt, WBC belt in his hand. And he said, I own this, right? I was like, right. And he goes, if you win it, you, you get the opportunity to, to hold it for a while. He said, but the belt's mine because you're the number one contender. Tomas is, I think he was number seven or something at the time. Um, he said, so who wins? And I said, yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. That's smart business. And he said, yeah. So, you know, and he said, and if whoever wins, he said, look, Paul, I'm the king of the comeback. He said, I'll always bring you back. I'm not like those other promoters out there in the U.S. Which, And he was 100% correct. With the promoters in the U.S., a few guys in Australia would understand this because there's quite a few Aussies that fought in the U.S. now. You'll get over there. They'll sign you to a two-fight deal. You'll fight one fight. You might lose that fight, and then they'll, they'll sit you on the shelf until your contract runs out. Um, Don Don w- wasn't like that, you know. He I fought in Germany with him. We he, he allowed me to fight um, Stipe Drevs in here as an eliminator in uh, Australia. Um, yeah, I sat there and said, "What don't I? What don't I fight this eliminator with with uh, Stipe Drevs? He's coming up the ranks. We need to stay busy." And he said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And I said, "Why don't you let us do it in Australia rather than doing it over there? Because you know, we I know the business." An Aussie fighting a Croat in America, snooze, you know. Who, who's interested in that? Nobody. So um, he said, yeah, 100%, do that in Australia and, and we'll go to a purse bid and, and do all that kind of thing. So I had that kind of relationship with Don, you know, where, where we had the ability to have conversations, which was, um, you know, it was refreshing. Have you um, had any contact with him in recent years? No, not not really. Like it was a business uh, yeah. arrangement, you know. So, I, you know, I've been asked a few times, "What was your experience with Don King?" And and I all I can say is I can only speak from my experience. And my experience with him was this: I flew first class. My family always flew business class. We stayed five star. Um, I never paid for, for anything. We, we, and you, you know what I mean by that. Like you always pay for things, but, yeah. um, you know, he, he really looked after me. So, um, anything that I, I feel I needed, um, you know, with regards to training camps and that sort of thing, Don did whatever he could to, to help me out. So, um, I think he learned in the very beginning you know, when we, when I said to you, he gave me a, a, a rubbish contract and I just said, nah, look, I won't. I, my exact words were to him were this. I don't want to waste your time and I sure as hell don't want to waste my time. I'm going to get back on the plane, go back to LA and, you know, we'll, we'll sort of leave it at that. And he said, no, 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 no. Let's get you some ribs and we'll get the job done. And I said, okay, sweet. 
So then, you know, they, we worked out a new deal. So I think from that, right from the get-go, then he, he said, you know, he knew that we could work in a um, productive way together. But he also said this to me. Imagine this, Paul. This is where he, we had this conversation over some ribs in, in uh, Florida. And he yeah. said, um, you know, I, I have, I have a, a young boxer comes to me and he's a million-dollar fighter, okay? And I come to him and I say, son, this kid's never seen 10, 10 grand in his life. And he said, no, I'll come to him and say, son, I'm going to give you a half a million dollar contract, knowing full well he's a million dollar fighter, right? And I'm like, yep. Does the kid know what he is? Of course he doesn't. Has he got the right people around him? Of course he doesn't. So such is the business. I'll sign him to a half a million dollar contract. Now, the problem is, Another promoter will come along and say to the kid, oh, my God, you're, you're a million-dollar fighter. I'm going to give you an $800,000 contract. And the kid will turn around and go, what? what? Why am I signing the Don King for half a mil when I can make 800000 off this guy? So they re-sign another contract, and then Don King keeps them on the shelf in court, yeah. and basically their career is over, and Don King's you know, the evilest man on the planet. So, I mean, what, what I learned from that was a lot about the business of boxing and the fact that, you know, just like a fight, it takes two to tango. And, you know, any man, as far as I'm concerned, there's no victims in life. You know, if you don't want to do your homework, if you don't, don't want to inform yourself when you go into something, then you deserve what you end up eating. Um, If you do want to educate yourself and inform yourself and get the right people around you, then kudos to you, you know. You would have seen, Paul, a lot of Australian boxers who've had similar journeys to you that have gone overseas and, and made bad decisions with regards to promoters. Have you had those conversations with people about um, about trying to uh, do the right thing when they do make that move? 100%. 100%. I mean, you've got to understand, everyone needs to understand this. This is not a sport. It is a business. First and foremost, then it's a sport. And what, what I mean by that is, Boxing is not corrupt in the way people think it is, okay? Um, Where it's corrupt is, and I'll I'll explain this to people so people get an understanding of it. Where boxing is corrupt, and people might get the shits of me expressing this and bringing this out into the light, okay? Where it's corrupt is you need to have the right agents looking after you because the agents have the relationships with the boxing officials at the elite level, elite professional level, okay? So if I've got one of my boys fighting in Vegas, I'm going to make sure I'm going to align him with an agent who has the relationships with the referees and the judges and that kind of thing. Now consider this, okay, Ben? You and I know each other. We go to dinner. We might hang out on uh, occasional weekends if, if I'm in Sydney, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Now, I've got one of my boys fighting, and you're going you're to be an official on that. You're going to be as impartial and professional as you possibly can. But human nature tells you that if something's really, really close and you have no idea who one of my boys is fighting, but you know my boy through me because you've got a relationship with me human nature says it states that you will swing in my direction if a decision is close would you agree 
Yeah, hundred percent. We've both been at those dinners and seen those interactions, and uh, there you go. Know, know how it works. Um, along those lines, then, Paul, when you went toe to toe, life and death, with uh, Thomas Adamek for twelve rounds, and um, Don King had the pair of you, how come it went a majority decision to Adamek? Do you feel? Do you think you lost that fight? Well, I'll tell you what I know. Yep. Okay. After the first fight, we were walking back, right? And I've um, got a, a, a HBO official with me, and she's, she's like, um, expressing to me what, what the protocols are and what I've got to do. Then I've got the um, uh, uh, Illinois uh, Athletic Commission uh, official beside me, and they're basically, okay, I'm right by your side as we go into the bathroom, and you've got to do a urine test and all that kind of thing. Um, as we're walking back, Don's there, slapped me on the back, going, oh, my God, that was amazing. You guys are incredible. That was like a ward gaddy, blah, blah, blah. My head's reeling. All I want to do is take my brain out and put it on ice. And a boxing agent by the name of Don Majeski yep. Yep. walks out, and he sees Jack Moses, and he goes, Jack, I didn't know you had Paul Briggs. If I knew you had Paul Briggs, you would have got the nod on that. Uh. So you can imagine how I feel. My brain's exploding. It's the closest fight of my life. I'm dealing with the first loss that I've had in 16 years, be it in a ring or on the street or anywhere. So the the um, the Superman mentality that I had created, or what I call the Mike Tyson syndrome that I had created within my mind, I can't be beat. Even a close decision, I'll end up winning because I just can't be beat. Um, that was decimated. So I'm really psychologically with, with all of that, my brain's on fire. I'm dealing with the fact that I've just, my dream is over technically in my mind. I know that's irrational, but in my mind it was very rational at the time. Um, and I hear that come out of a boxing agent's mouth. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, you just, yeah, I was just like, what? So you is know? it more than at this point that you feel that you won the fight looking back on it, but you understand that you didn't win the politics. Is, is that the way that you look back on it? No, I lost the fight. Okay. I lost the fight. And um, I don't give a damn what, what some Muppet wants to say as we're walking back to the, to the, and mind you, this guy's saying this, looking at Jack, not even acknowledging, acknowledging me at all, which I get it. You know, I've spent yeah. a lot of time in Thailand, like boxers in Thailand, are like racehorses. In America, it's similar. Boxes over there, a little, a few steps above Thailand, but it's very similar. Um, so, yeah, no, there was, there was no um, – look, at the time, I wanted to do all sorts of that, that bloke. Um, and and I would, had mixed emotions around a whole lot of things. But um, in hindsight now, looking back, it, it, was, it was perfect, you know, it was the best thing that ever happened to me, not becoming a world champion and not winning winning that belt. Because if I had to become world champion, if I had to beat Tomas that night, I'm not sure I would have been alive probably another year or two after that. Yeah, that's interesting you say that. Is that you think that it would have awoken the ego essentially yeah hundred percent it would have destroyed me completely i mean i'm in los angeles like the cocaine in la is forget about it you know and i was a cokehead so um i had not I'd even begun to address my uh demons or my my addictions or my attachments or anything like that and um you know i'm hanging out with movie stars and and all that kind of rubbish and um you know, 
yeah, it, it would have destroyed me. So I, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm really, really grateful. You know, there, there's, there's someone looking out for me in the sense that I didn't. And you know, I, Thomas deserved it. He fought. A lot of people don't know this. He went into that fight with a broken nose. He broke his nose the week before, mm. and he went into that fight with a broken nose. And I know when I looked him in the eye as we were about to come up on stage for the post-fight press conference, and he looked at me and and. And he just said, oh, my God. He said, I, I heard that you were tough, but, man, he said, you just punched so hard. And I said, mate, me tough? Are you kidding? Look at you. I said, your face looks like the elephant man, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, so. Yeah, an incredible fight. You, you just said that you were um, you were a cokehead, essentially, in the lead-up or around that time. How long were you? clean and dedicated to your preparation before that fight oh no i was always clean and dedicated always yeah. what I, what i mean by that is you know i was fighting two times a year so there's okay. there's only Down. six months of the year what are you doing with the other six months and, and on top of that you know i was i was a a father and a husband so you know it it, it was if if i was out with different guys you know we, we would go to the opening of an envelope or somewhere mm. and you know you'd you'd indulge in something whatever but it was never like you know my early days where, yeah 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 it wasn't like that weren't running into each other um, no no yeah it, it, it wasn't like a uh, like a certain athlete in this country okay uh do you want to go any further with that no no i don't <laughs> okay um so you had that incredible fight and for those who haven't watched it you can watch it on youtube and, and find it um Paul Briggs, Thomas Adamek won uh, in Chicago, an incredible fight, um, really bad cut for Briggs in round two, but um, came home really strongly and eventually it was a majority decision that went to who was um, ultimately the hometown fighter in Adamek and it was inevitable at that point they would do it again. That had been for a vacant title. Uh, you went back into the number one uh, position and uh, the fight eventually was made again the following year. Um, an amazing fight yet again uh this time around probably a bit different to the first whereas uh the first time you probably worked your way into the fight this time you came out and were outstanding early in that fight yeah i knew i knew i could i could land that left hook and that was all i was really working on and my camp uh johnny and i worked together we fought um we fought, uh, I forget the, the um, American boxer's name in Dusseldorf, Germany. Um, just a stay busy fight. We didn't really want a hard camp. Um, Etienne Whitaker. Etienne Whitaker, yeah. Um, I, knew I, I knew I'd sort of, I, I had his number, I had his measure. Um, and Johnny and I just wanted to get a feel, you know, for working together. Um, and uh, I loved being with Johnny. I loved being with Jack. I loved being with Rod. Um, I'm really lucky to have had some really good connections with, with my coaches and um, the camp that we had for the, for the Adamac second Adamac fight was um, awesome. And I had some great sparring partners. We brought out some great guys from the U S and um, yeah, it was just, it was really, really good. I just think that um, I had a brain hemorrhage after the first Adamac fight and this is something that I, I'm, I'm still dealing with now, you know, and um, and that'll sort of lead into, you know, what happened with the green fight. Mm. But um, I just was not – well, you can see I was, I, I was great 
a great starter, but come by about the sixth round, I just I wasn't there. I just wasn't there at all. And I realised um, after that fight, I was I just wasn't the same. I wasn't the same guy. And um, I remember being in the gym um, at Willamaloo, um, and we I started skipping. And as I was skipping, it was like the, I was in an earthquake. It was like the whole building started to move. And Johnny was watching me, and he, he just he came walking over and he said, "Son, listen, I want just put the rope down. I want you to go and get every scan you can get." And so I, I knew at that point that my career was over. So that um, skipping incident, that was when was that after the second fight? After the second fight, okay. yeah. But you had a brain hemorrhage after the first fight. After um, the first fight. What, so what was what was the physical impact of of that? What? How did you? Was this just a, uh, something that was found in scans after the fight, or did you? Have... Um, well, after the fight, we went to we took the kids to Disneyland. We yeah. caught up with some friends in LA, and then we flew back to Australia. And um, we we got basically got off the plane, dropped all the bags, and and uh, you know what it's like. Um, you 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 traveling internationally, you kind of you you arrive here in Australia, and you've been awake for like twenty hours or something. But there's no way you can sleep, and you're trying yeah. to re acclimate you know, to the, to the time zone and everything. So we just thought we'll just take the kids to the park and, and let them play on the swings. And, and um, I was pushing my daughter on the swing and I just stopped and, and I just, something wasn't right. And, um, you know, my daughter's mother came running up to me and she said, what's wrong? I said, I'm not right. Something's not right. She said, let's go. Um, we'll, we'll just go straight to, to the to the hospital. And I rang uh, Ron Finlay, uh, who was my, my family physician, um, a doctor, and he said, um, just go straight to this, uh, go straight to the hospital. I'll ring forward and, and do all the paperwork and everything for you to get scans and stuff. So um, did that and... Uh, yeah, they were like we they they couldn't quite work out what was going on, and then I went flew to Sydney and I saw all sorts of specialists and everything and and um, the 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 issue that I had was a combination of the the um, the damage to my nervous system and then the hemorrhage as well the brain hemorrhage and the parts of the brain that the hemorrhage was impeding upon. Um, so I've I've lost about. 20 something percent 27 percent or something <coughs> of my eyesight and um the whole right side of my body now is sort of hypersensitive so because it's uh, the hemorrhage of is up on the left left uh, hemisphere of the brain but um yeah it's just it was just um yes okay so that that was that's pretty significant um yeah damage that you're taking in that first fight and you fought again four and a half months later yeah we backed up again and and uh, i had a warm-up fight as well in between so um we fought again and and i just um yeah like i said after about um the first third of the fight or something coming up to the sort of halfway point i just wasn't the same it just wasn't me in there and I, i just couldn't keep up with his pace it's like yeah. I, I, I was trying to tell – I was telling my body what to do and my body just wasn't responding, you know. It was like there was a disconnect between my mind and, and my what my mind was telling my body to do. But, um, you know, there's there's no excuses in anything. I um, 
I thought I was going to still going to, you know, knock him out. And, 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 um, the, uh, all of, what I'm talking about is all in hindsight, you know, decades yeah, yeah. later, you got to understand, you know, or a decade yeah. later. So. Well, you, you say no excuses, but gee, um, to watch that second fight against Adam back, uh, knowing what you just said, um, it was an incredible performance because you dropped him in the first round. You were so strong early. And yeah, he finished very, very strongly. But mm-hmm. the last round of that fight, um, the two of you were still going toe-to-toe. So, um, yeah, an incredible performance. Um, given these health issues that um, you're now discussing, um, you, you must be pretty proud of, of the toughness that you showed in that fight. Yeah, yeah, well, I am. And and I don't know if you want to call it um, pride or stupidity or whatever, but I yeah, always... Probably a, a combination, yeah. Yeah, I, I look, I... Speaking purely from a warrior standpoint, you know, warrior on a battlefield, and this is what I've always come from. Um, I had no problem at any time in my life on on dying on the battlefield, and I know a lot of guys speak of this and all dying there and all the rest of it. But for me, it, there was no greater honour, you know, to to um, pass doing what you love, if if that was to be. And I'm not saying that to try and be an impre- impressive or anything like that. It's just um, I l- have absolutely loved this sport um, impeccably. I'm in a love affair with it. Even today, I'm so in love with what I do. You know, I'm, I'm talking to you from the office of my gym right now. Yeah. My gym is closed, you know, and yet I'm here. Yeah. I'm in the gym, you know. So um, this, is, this is my solace. This is my, my happy place. So, um, yeah, I... I I am proud of, of the performances that I put up. Um, and, and I'll tell you something. I'm, I'll talk a little bit about the green fight. When I was off of that fight, um, it, it was complete insanity, you know, and I'm not going to accuse anyone of, of anything. I own it. I took the, I decided to take the fight. I got in there and it went the way that it went. Now, did I take a dive? I've never taken a dive in my life, Okay. Where it went wrong, I sparred 100 rounds to get ready for that fight. Now, the harder I sparred, the worse I got. Guys are running out of the gym, getting on their mobile phones, going, bet everything you've got on, on Paul to get knocked out in the first round, mate. He is gone. And I found all, all of this out later and, and um, that this was happening. But, you know, um, I was not right. Should I have taken the fight? Definitely not. But... I'm a warrior. Like I, I fight. If you cut an arm off, yeah, you know the Monty Python thing, or the the the, the, the black uh, knight. The yeah, black, yeah. You know, and he's he's trying to bite the dude's ankles. That was kind of the mentality, and you've got to have that mentality to, as an athlete, to get to the top. I, I wasn't thinking for one second about my well-being. All I was considering was what I had to be done, to succeed that was it and um you know it was to my detriment because unfortunately it went the way that it went and um you could have blown me over you know with a with a a light slight breeze you know before that fight i just you know it was not me in there Um, do i do i accuse danny of anything no not at all um did he take an easy mark maybe Maybe, but that's for him to deal with. That's none of my business. My business is the fact that, that I'm the one who took the fight. I'm the one who got in there and, and it went the way that it went. 
You know? Yeah, for those who don't know the timeline, so the second um, Artemek fight, uh, again, for the world title was um, October 2006. You had one more fight um, in Sydney, and then it was three and a half years after that fight that the opportunity to fight Danny Green came along in a big fight at Challenge Stadium in Perth, uh, live on main event, um, and ultimately it went for 29 seconds. You took what did look like a glancing uh, jab and went down and, and clearly couldn't get up. Point um... And I think that, you know, my ego was that big, as if I would have listened anyway. Um, but no, nobody, nobody at any point said that. There, there was a few people who had invested interest in me getting in there. Um, you know, that's all I'll say about that. But, um, but again, there's no blame being placed anywhere. I, I take full responsibility for, for all of, you know, the actions that I take in my life. And I'm the one who decided to get in there. I'm the one who got on TV like an absolute egghead and, and persecuted, you know, the New South Wales Boxing Authority for doing their job. And they did a good job in, in, in not allowing that fight to go ahead in, in New South Wales. You know, they were looking after my health and well-being. And like an absolute dick um, on TV, I scolded them and, and called them a bunch of whatevers, um, which was just ridiculous, you know, absolutely ridiculous. Um, they, they were there to look out for boxers and boxers' health. And I commend them, you know, for the job that they do, um, as they do all governing bodies um, in, in every country you know, on this planet. The, the health issues that you were suffering um, through that period, uh, they've been described in, in different ways, but you mentioned that you did a lot of sparring um, in the lead up to that fight. In your day-to-day life, could you tell that there was something amiss, that there was damage and, and there was an issue? Oh, big time. And how did that present itself? Um, I Okay, so here, here's the best story, and Billy Hussain will laugh laugh his head off at this. So yeah. we're going to spa. Um, well, I was staying at um, uh, Star, at Star Casino yeah. uh, in Sydney. And um, Billy rang me and said, hey, brother, we're in the car downstairs. We'll see you in five. And I said, sweet, I'm on my way. I come down and I hopped into the back of a car. And there was the two elderly couple. And they turned around and looked at me. And I went, wow, <laughs> you're not Billy. Um, okay, wrong car. And I turned around and looked, and they freaked, and I said, it's all good. I've just got in the wrong car. And I turned around, and Billy was in the car behind. Just those kind of things. Yeah. Just a complete – like, you can look at that and, go and laugh at it and go, yeah, well, you know, some people do that. But that was happening all the time. You know, there was just – and it wasn't even a lack of attention. It was just I, – I just wasn't there. I wasn't there. What about on the night itself when you're in the dressing room and you've done it so many times as a yep. tough fighter and as a professional boxer, you're ready to go out and um, mm-hmm. you're a warrior. You have that mentality of aggression. You're going out there to, to do your thing. But what about that night? What were you feeling when you were about to walk out? Did you know what was about to happen? Nope, not at all. I thought I'm going to hit him on the chin. I'm going to smash him with the left hook and start with the left hook and then I'm going to hurt him to the body. I knew I, I've hurt Danny before to the body inspiring all the time. And I knew that um, I could hurt him to the body and then come over the top, you know. Um, there's all these stories that, that, that I was, you know, in a depression and I was crying in the dressing room and all this crap. It's all rubbish. Absolute crap. Um, and, that, you know, I had bags of cocaine in the dressing room. That's crap too. Um, you know, it was a professional camp. Everybody involved in the camp was professional, including my sparring partners. Um, you know, we did everything um, 
that was required. Um, and we, you know, I, I honestly thought this is, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, this is how it's going to go. And, and Billy seemed sort of, I wouldn't say confident, but he was backing me. You know, which is all you can do as a coach when yeah. if you know your 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 your, your lambs going out into the lines, then then you, you still got to you got to back them. Um, and Billy did that, and he was really professional. All the race through my mind was, if I fall off these stairs walking up into the ring, what mm. what is that going to look like? But that's that gives you an insight as to where I was at. Yeah. So hopefully that enlightens some people as to why I basically got hit with a glancing shot and was gone because I was gone before I even got in the ring. That's, that's, that was a problem, you know, and the, the whole investigation around it being a farce was the Western Australian boxing commission trying to cover their ass. And it wasn't even so much them. It was a doctor that signed off. He looked at me, did the final examination. I've got no problem saying this um, openly. He looked at me, did the final examination and just said, mate, you are not okay. And I said, well, you're a doctor. I'm a fighter. And I, I have, there was one of my associates that was standing behind, beside me who was witness to this. I said to him, you're the doc. I'm a fighter. I fight. Cut my arms and legs off. I'm going to try and crawl at you and fight. That's what I do. That's all I know to do. You're the doctor. It's a world title fight. What do you want to do? And he took a step back and took a big deep breath and paused for about 30 seconds. Felt like about 10 minutes. And he said, all right, I'll sign off on it. That right there was why there was an investigation into it, was because they had to somehow cover their ass around his decision to do that. Now, do I blame him for that? No, not at all. And um, that was weigh-in day, was it, Paul? That was that was weigh-in day, yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and when he said you're not right, what 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 do you think? Was that a nervous system? Was that what what was it that that he had found in that very limited? He was just looking at me stand there. He was just right. standing on one foot, and I couldn't. Okay. Yeah. Um, the night itself, uh, you must have uh, some fascinating memories about the experience of being as groggy as you were trying to get up and get out of the ring afterwards. Um, the crowd turning on you. I know people, a, a few things were thrown. Um, your opponent, Danny Green, um, said some things on the microphone, said you were lower than a canine and, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, how have you dealt with all that happened in the aftermath of that fight on that night? Because as a warrior and a man who went the distance with Thomas Adamek twice in those incredible battles, um, we know you're a warrior, so that must have really damaged your pride to have been treated that way. First and foremost, I don't remember anything bar um, where, what I was expressing to you where I got to the steps and I had to walk up, walk up and I was freaking out thinking, man, if I fall, I don't actually remember anything from that point on. So um, the last, the next thing I remember was talking to Andy Raymond in a, a hotel room. I'm not sure if it was my hotel room, and they were waiting to take me to the hospital. Yeah. Um, I don't remember anything from the fight. I, I don't remember the crowd. Don't remember what Danny said. Don't remember. I saw that on on film or on TV later, and saw him carrying on. And uh, to be honest with you, I was just neutral around. It. I was just numb around it all. Um, 
because I just I I wasn't okay. I had other things on my mind. <laughs> that was my health, you know. Um, but I I don't remember any of that. Um, what was the health journey for you after that? There was obviously quite a journey because um, I think they find you and um, there there was a, a lot that went on. But uh, what was the health journey for you after that fight? So they find me, and this is something that I do want to express. A lot of people don't know this. They find me. Then we went to court, and and they just tore them to pieces in court. There were so many holes in it, and I ended up getting um, getting paid the money. Um, now a lot it was of a significant were, fine. It was seventy five grand or something. Seventy five grand. Yeah. So um, um, so I won. I won in a, in a, in, um, uh, you know, we basically went back and appealed and in an appeal, we won, we were ruled like they had, um, I actually uh, didn't know that. I've never seen no, it. No one knows that yeah. because no, no one's going to, I mean, I said to them, this is interesting. I stood out the front, I had four QC, I saw four high court judges, four judges, and they were just disgusted. They tore strips off the, the boxing commission. They just said, this guy's been used as a, as a scapegoat. For whatever they heard everything, and then they just turned around. And I said to my lawyer, um, I was a QC that, that I had there, and I said, um, "What do you think?" And he said, "I, you never know." But he said, "I think we we, we pre- presented a, a, a solid case." And then we, when we went in for the um, verdict to be read, these high court judges went rank, and my my lawyer just turned around, and was looking at me with his like oh my god kind of look on his face like can you believe this and i was just looking going finally this is great like excellent and then i walked outside the court and i had one reporter come up to me and he said how do you feel knowing that the whole of australia won't even know about this now and i just laughed i think i told him to fuck off or something but um (laughs) because it it wasn't news you know it wasn't sensational yeah um and what about health wise? What did you do? What did you do to um, start getting I, better after that? Well, I'm still. I've got a program I'm about to start soon around um, uh, uh, neurological, um, uh, like brain plasticity, um, thing that I'm going to be doing. Um, so it's been ongoing. It's just been a journey. Um, my diet is impeccable. Uh, my lifestyle is impeccable. I can't train hard anymore, and that breaks my heart. But it's cool. I, I train. I still do some stuff, but it's, it's low impact, if not no impact. I do a lot of shadow boxing, even that's minimal. Um, and I just live a simple life now. I love my gym. I love um, my my um, membership base. I love my fighters, you know. Um, and I've got. I've created. Um, just a really peaceful, joyful existence where I'm doing what I love, you know, it's teaching boxing. Um, and, you know, I'm grateful. I'm just grateful every day. I'm grateful for the experiences that I had. I'm grateful for the journey that I've been on because the, the wisdom that I now have to be able to teach my fighters what decisions not to make, how not to get caught up in their ego, which this game is so easy, you know, like I just have people that will wait out, outside my hotel in the, in the States for me to come out, you know, for, and they'd wait for hours for you to come out so that you could sign something for them or they could get a photo with you, you know. So I had a little glimpse, like a little glimpse of, of that kind of um, notoriety, I suppose. Um, 
and it's in the US. It's not here. Like, it's, yeah, it's America. You know. So, um, what about in terms of your um your memory and and your emotional state? Have you found any ongoing impacts of of the injuries uh, in those regards? Um, no. Look, I've I've done the work. So to to, to say, you know, like I, I um I've I've done what was required for me to correct myself. And for me to correct my perception, for me to correct my thinking, and correct my diet, and correct my lifestyle, and correct it, I live a completely different life now—completely different life, 360 degrees different. And um, and this is what I teach from with, with my boxes and with everyone in my gym. You know, I, I just try and uh, teach from my example now. Of I've walked two paths. One destroys you. One one propagates life and 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 supports life. So. Um, you know, the, like I said, the life that I lead now is very simple. It's very simplistic, and my diet's very simple. And and um, the work that I've done around my thinking has been a ten-year journey. You know, the work I've done around my ego is ongoing, and um, and it, and it's beautiful. You know, I really am grateful for some of the incredible mentor, or or a particular incredible mentor that I've had in my life, and um, I have another uh, incredible mentor now. Um, within uh, coaching um, um, and uh, you know that, that I work with and I get to travel to the US a, a couple of times a year um, with what I do now with the coaching although it's not really happening this year um, so I, I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm forging out for myself within boxing still you know and I love going to the Hall of Fame dinners you know and, and seeing all the old fighters and 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 honouring them, which I think um, Australia is just not good at. I think we really dropped the ball. I think we're we're absolutely shit house at at honouring um, and acknowledging our our athletes. Yeah, we certainly are. Particularly mm. in boxing, um, it's it's something that's been overlooked for a, for a long time. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned uh, some mentors that you have now. Uh, you had. Uh, three main trainers through the course of your career you've mentioned them briefly through um this chat but uh how do you look back on experiences with um with rod waterhouse with uh with jack mosley shane mosley's father who you trained with uh, for the first anamek fight and then with johnny lewis and particularly um in regards to the changes and why they happened when they did um rod i, I loved rod um and I was heartbroken with what happened with him. And I found out when I got off a plane after I fought Jesus Ruiz, the Mexican. Um, I flew back from Sydney. I got off a plane at, at Gold Coast Airport and there's reporters there. And I thought, oh, wow, awesome. And they're not asking me about my fight. They asked me, you know, expl- you know, convince us that you had nothing to do with what happened with Rod. And I'm like, what happened with Rod? And they're like, what? And I'm like, What? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. And I got a little bit aggressive with one guy who was just an egghead. And I said, mate, I don't, can I just work out what's happening? I don't understand what's happening. And so. So um, yeah, um, to, to um, tell people about that. So Rod was implicated in a, a major uh, drug investigation. Um, I, I don't know what ended up happening, um, but there was no overlap was there between you working with Rod and that happening regardless. Had you not parted ways already? So check this out. I fought Jesus Ruiz yeah. for that whole fight. Rod just wasn't there. He wasn't himself. And I'm, I've been around, you know, I've been around the traps. I'm, if it wags its, its tail and barks like a dog, it's a dog. I'm not yeah. calling anyone a dog. I'm just saying no, no. If, if, it, 
if it meows, it's a cat. You know, you, you can't look and go, that's a giraffe. You know, um, it, it, what you see is, is they're indicators as to what you know is happening due to the life that you've lived. So the data that I had presented to me was saying, this is happening, Paul. And I was just like, oh, my God. Then I get in and I fight Jesus for wins, and the instruction that I was being given by Rod in the corner was just like, oh, my God, I've got to fight this fight myself. This bloke's not even here. How could he be here? He was distracted by other things. So then I, I win that fight. It was a real hard fight, but I won that fight against a Mexican. And um, straight away, when I, I said to my manager, I'm, as I'm walking back to the dressing room, I said, I want you to meet me in my hotel room in an hour. So we got everything done, and we had this post-fight you know, you've got all your obligations that you've got to do, but I did them and then I said to my manager, meet me in my room. And so he came up to the room and I said, I want you, I want to call a meeting in your offices um, tomorrow, straight away. I said, I want you to, to, um, to I want to go to, to America and I want to train with Freddie, uh, Freddie Roach. And uh, Freddie had always said to me, he trained me for a fight in 2001 in San Francisco. you come back to the US and everything, I want to train you. And I said, that would be amazing. I used to run with Manny every morning. Um, and so I said to my, to my um, manager, I want you to get in touch with, um, with uh, uh, Freddie and I'll, I'll, we're going to move to America and we're going to go uh, within a week. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to leave Rod and I'll, I'm going to do it straight away when I get home tomorrow. I'm gonna, I'll have a meeting with him and I'll sort that, but I want you to start putting all of the plans in place now. And he said, okay, wow, all right, um, I'm not ready for this, but okay. I said, well, get ready, mate, do it. Like, this is what needs to happen. He said, okay, let's go. So then I get off the plane the next day. How's that for dodging bullets? Yeah, right. The next day, and I, I, I swear to God, I knew, knew nothing other than what, you know, my experience was telling me and so i got off and just went oh my god so i know what rod thinks like we've fallen out over it he won't speak to me i know what he thinks around it but um i it, that is what it is i would never speak of anything that is none of my business just like i'm not now you know so um so you haven't been able to resolve um, the fact that you went separate ways with Rod, you two haven't been able to to patch that up over time. Um, I have within myself. Yeah. I love the man, and I've got no hard feelings towards him. I did have. I was vehemently angry towards him. How could you do that when we were so close? Yeah. Because, like I said, if I had him in my corner, I'll say that to this day. If he was in my corner, I would have smashed Adamac. I would have killed him. We were at unstoppable force, Rod and I, and. I understand this now, especially within the coaching world, that it doesn't necessarily you – can, you can take a, a, a coach who's not necessarily the best coach, but he has the best connection with a fighter. Yeah. And that sometimes can be enough to, to win a world title. You know? and, and I knew that's what Rod and I had, but um, it wasn't to be. So. Um, and is, where is Rod now? I'm not sure. I know he's had a stroke. Um, yeah. I'd love to catch up with him again, but I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. You know, I, I know some people, you know, they're not ready, so whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you did train after that with not Freddie Roach, but with uh, Jack Mosley, Shane Mosley's father. Um, yeah. You trained with him for the first Artemek fight, but yes. did you part ways immediately after that fight? And if so, why was that? 
I'll tell you why. Because Lamont Brewster fought the main event. Yeah. Uh, against Andrew Galotta. Yeah. And the fight, Jack went Lamont Brewster's after party instead of coming to my, if you could call it an after party, you know, with all, where I had all my sponsors and all my supporters and everyone who'd flown over from Australia, you know, and everyone was like, you know, I said to him, Jack, where are you? Yeah, yeah, man, I'll be. I'm just, we're just, we're, we're here, man. We're, we're in, you know, um, Bruce's. So I said, who the F is Bruce? Like, I'm your fighter. And I just, from that, I hung up the phone and I just went, that's it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you trained with Johnny Lewis, the legendary Johnny Lewis. Um, yeah, he's awesome. Is it? Maybe it, is it a fortuitous thing that given the health issues that you went on to have and the fact that you did retire um, while you were still being trained by Johnny, is, is it a good thing that that did happen and you ended up with Johnny? Because um, he's certainly someone who would have been telling you um, when things appeared to be uh, not right that maybe it was time to, to finish up. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you something. The only person who said, I don't think this is a good idea and I, I, I'm not sure if I can remember, but I'm pretty sure I actually had a conversation with Johnny and he said, son, don't, don't, you, you're, you're, you're a man, you're, you're a big boy, you can make whatever decisions you need to make, but I don't think this is a smart move um, against Green. Yeah. He was probably the only one. But, um, yeah, you're right. You're 100% right. Like, Johnny, Johnny um, is just an amazing human being in every way, shape, and form, a great coach, and I can only speak... Um, so highly of him, as does anyone who has ever met him. Um, and you've also mentioned a few times through this conversation your relationship with your father, which um, by yep. the sounds of it is very good at this awesome. point, but, but at times has not been. What's that journey been like? Well, um, it, it's been, like I said, look, I've done, I've done the work. I've done so much work to heal and uh, so many different relationships that I destroyed. Nobody else, you know, like... Um, I destroyed my relationship with my father and I turned around and blamed him. You know, my father is, is, is who he is. He only knows what he knows. He's doing the best he can with what he knows. And he was a hard man and he was hard, you know, to, to grow up with. But he was amazing to be trained by. My brother would say a completely different thing. You know, we're two twins and having uh, two completely different experiences of the same, same guy. And... Um, for my brother, it wasn't a very good experience, and and um, growing up, growing up with my dad, maybe wasn't such a good experience. But at, but at the same time, it was beautiful and fun, and and we had some great times, as much as all the toxicity as well. But as far as the career was concerned, it was it was amazing, and I value it so much, and am am so grateful for everything that I experienced with my dad. You know, I remember I remember one fight that I had. Um, I forget where we were in Japan. But he was in the bed beside me, um, like on the other side of the room, and he was like snoring. <laughs> and I was awake, and I was just looking at him, and I was just—I remember thinking, "Man, we've been everywhere. We've been to like Grafton, you know, <laughs> in a, in a minibus, yeah, you know, for fights, and we've flown to you know different parts of the world." you know, uh, for fights and, and, and it's just, it's been amazing. So, um, you know, I, I, it took me nearly two years to, before my father would actually meet me. 
meet with me. So it took me nearly two years of just having conversations with him on the phone and very gently, very slowly, you know, um, healing that relationship. And now, you know, we talk every other week and, um, you know, I, I, I'll go and see him and we'll sit there and we'll, we'll have a, have a tea. And, um, why was it so fractured for that period? Why did it take two years? Um, because I was a, I was a, I was an egomaniac. I was a, I was a, um, very irrational man then yeah to be with and to be around um and you know i i did something um i um, threatened my father in a way that we just is you know is not done and my father was was doing something that he thought was was going to be protecting me i saw it as him trying to just be his normal self and control everything and 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 um and I reacted, and of course, reaction always it is never um, going to have a, a positive outcome. And so, um, I think my dad just got to a point in his life where he just went, "You know what? I just want peace." And he was changing as a man, and he just enjoyed his quiet life, his simple life with his partner, and um, not being bothered by anybody. And he's very reclusive. And um, so it took me it took me a couple of years to of just very slowly, um, you know, nurturing that relationship back to where it is today, which is absolutely incredible. It has been a pleasure to talk to you, mate. Um, it's a, an inspirational story. You've been on um, you've been on quite a trip through the the course of your life, and um, it sounds like you're in a, a pretty good place now, and that's fantastic to hear. Yeah, no, I'm 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 in heaven right now. <laughs> thanks, Ben. Um, and I appreciate the time, mate. No, thanks so much. All right, thank you, Paul Briggs.